Good morning, Lake Avenue. Our scripture reading today is from Psalms 1 and 150. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the resounding of the trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Even I felt like dancing in praise of the Lord, and I'm terrible at that. Thank you so much, Ruby, just for letting us hear God's word through, through the voice that he's given you. I'm so glad to be back with you this morning. I'm so thankful for, for um, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so thankful for Pastor Perry and then Pastor Jeff Madison, who, who brought such powerful messages to you. But I'm really glad to be back, to be able to begin this series on heart cries in the book of Psalms. And, and you know, just before I left, we, we were going through this Summer Olympics, which I always love. Uh, most of you know I'm really a sports fan. And one of the things I, I really have always loved is watching the world's greatest athletes out there performing and competing in their sports. But I'll tell you, I'm especially thrilled, and this isn't going to surprise you because I'm a pastor. I'm especially thrilled when I hear some athletes like sprinter Allison Felix. I'll show you a picture in case you've forgotten Allison. She won uh, in sprinting uh, two golds. One silver, I think she, she anchored the 4 by 400 And when she was interviewed afterwards, it was amazing. Here's what she said. I feel so blessed that God has given me this talent of running. But track doesn't define me. My faith in Jesus defines me. Uh, I'm running because I have been blessed with a gift. And then later, I am so blessed to have my family and the upbringing that I did. I'm, I'm just telling you, anytime I hear one of the athletes just use that word blessed, you, you know what I do? I, I go on and Google it, and, and I put the person's name, and I put Christian to find out if they're really a brother or sister in Christ. And almost always, the person who use that, uses that word blessed is, is a Christian. 
because it's a word that almost only Christians use. But it's such a beautiful, beautiful word that, that has to do with something that comes into your life that maybe you didn't earn or you deserve a, a, a joy that just seems to be something that's overwhelming to you. I mean, she, she spoke about it in so many ways. The blessing of supportive relationships, the, the blessing she had had to pursue her dreams. I mean, there are so many kinds of blessings, aren't there? I, I think if you and I had the eyes to see it and the hearts to be open to it, we would see countless blessings that God gives us every day of our lives. Now, we're going to think about that today, and, and, and there are two sides to a blessing, and, and Allison kind of got at both of them. So a blessing is both a gift. I mean, so there's something about it that we really haven't earned, that we recognize that, that it's, it's been given to us, but once we have it, it's also a stewardship that we're supposed to nurture. So do you, do you see it in the way that Allison Felix talked about that? I'm thankful for this gift of running that I have. She recognized that so most of us will never be able to run like she runs. <laughs> that there's something that, that had been built by God in the way that he had made her that makes it she can run fast. But at the same time, I think all of us can acknowledge that just having that gift of having that, you know, biological makeup isn't going to do a thing if you don't work at it. She had worked hard to be able to win those races. So the blessing always involves both acknowledging that there is a, a gift that we haven't earned and being thankful for it, as well as the responsibility to use that gift and, and to nurture it. Now, I think that even though most people in our world who aren't Christians don't use that word blessed, uh, they really understand it when we talk about it. I, I think the word that mostly people in the world would use that's something like that is, is happy or a happiness that comes our way. And even though happiness and blessed aren't exactly the same thing, this morning you'll hear I'll use them almost synonymously, and I want you to think about them in the biblical sense that God is the giver of every good gift, and when he gives you a gift, you use it uh, responsibly. And today as we begin this new series in the book of Psalms that I'm calling Heart Cries, all this fall, we are going to be looking at it seems, what it seems to me in my life as being a pastor have been the heart cries I've heard from most people who have come in to talk with me. The deep, deep longings of almost every human being, uh, the longing to be free from addictions, the, the longing to be free from anxiety and, and, and depression and injustice and so many things. So today we're going to begin, and the Psalms are filled with that. Uh, today we're going to begin where it begins with what I think is the fundamental longing that sort of is all-embracive of all of our human longings, and that is that longing for happiness. Often the other longings are so that we can be happy. And so today we're, we're going to be um, thinking about that. So blessed, happy, and the interesting thing for me is that as we come to the book of Psalms, when we open it up to Psalm chapter 1, the very first word in the book of Psalms is, hey, you guys are more attentive than the nine o'clockers were. <laughs> I, I had to shake them many times. Uh, blessed, blessed. So there's some reason why the whole book of Psalms, this worship book of the people of God, the worship book of Jesus himself, do you know that? who quoted the Psalms over and over again, it starts with the word blessed. So I want us to start by thinking about Psalm 1 and being blessed or unblessed. 
being happy or unhappy, because I'm telling you, it's not coincidental that the book of Psalms opens with this first psalm. It's not coincidental that the first psalm opens with that word blessed. The, the Jewish rabbis who've done what I'm doing for you right now and, and talked so much about what the Bible says about uh, uh, being blessed would point out to us that the book of Psalms, when you read it, and there are 150 of them, the songbook of the people of God, that it wasn't sim simply a random collection of songs just somehow gathered together and jammed together, but that it is strategically, logically uh, put together and with a real intent. And the intent is so that these psalms, as we go through them, will help you and me to experience a life of being blessed by God, Amen. even in this imperfect world, so filled with the kind of things that rob people of their happiness, of injustice and of pain and of sickness and depression, that in the midst of all of that, the psalms are going to be addressing how we can live this life in such a way that we can experience day by day in our lives blessing, even as Allison Felix talked about it. Now, I'll tell you, when we look at what this first psalm says about being blessed or happy, it's not the way our world talks about it. It's what I mean by countercultural. And one of the ways that it's so countercultural is when our world thinks about happiness, we usually think about it as something that we go after, we, we pursue it. I, I've got to have that so that I can be happy. Even our United States Declaration of Independence. It tells us that that an unalienable right that you and I have is the pursuit of happiness. And I appreciate that, and I understand it, and I'm thankful for it, but I just want you to see today that the way the Bible talks about happiness or blessedness is quite different. In fact, the way that the Bible talks about happiness is the more you and I pursue it, the unhappier we're going to be. I'm just looking to see if anybody's still with me here. Okay, what on earth am I talking about? This is something that I began to learn when I was just a boy, and I'd started going to church. The first pastor I remember was Pastor Green. He's the one who baptized me. And I, we only had a church of about 75 people. That's the kind of church I grew up in. And the children sat in the whole service. So I sat through all of his sermons. And I, don't, I hate to tell you, I don't remember much of any of them. But there is one phrase that came to my mind as I was studying this, and it happened because one day in the service, he stopped and he said, I want you to listen to me right now. In fact, I want you to write this down and never forget it, and I can't believe it. I haven't forgotten it. <laughs> and here's what he said. You don't become happy by trying to be happy. Do we have that up there? Pastor Green, Beckley, West Virginia. <laughs> You don't become happy. What everybody wants to be happy. But you don't become happy by trying to be happy. That, that happiness doesn't come from pursuing it, through trying to get something in this world that will make us happy. It's, it's derived in a very different way from the way the world talks about it. Because I'll tell you, I find that when most people come in and talk to me, Pastor, I don't know how to find happiness. I want to be happy. I, I, some even say I deserve to be happy. But it, it has always kind of flowed into this thought, the only way that I could be happy is if I can get that job, if I can get out of debt. I mean, really important things. If I can get into that school, all these. Uh, if I can marry that guy or that girl 10 years later. If I can get out of this marriage with that guy or that girl. 
You hear it all, don't you, as you live long enough. But, but you see, the whole point is that when we try to find our happiness in those things, pursuing those things to make us happy, we will never find it. That happiness is found in a different way. And really, that's what the first psalm is all about. It, it, it's, happiness, blessedness is one of those wonderful realities that the Bible says you derive from something else, not by seeking it on its own. You don't become happy by trying to be happy. So, so where do you find it? And this first psalm does what the Jewish people so often did. It says there are two ways the people in this world, it always does this. It divides the world into two different groups. There are two different groups of people who are trying to find happiness. All of us are, and you can find yourself in one group or another. And this first psalm is what the Jewish people called a wisdom song. And, and a wisdom song meant that there are two different paths you could go. And, and one path is a path in which God is at the center of everything. And the first commandment, nothing before God, is lived out. And the other path is one where you leave God out. So we're going to look at this psalm, which is talking about that. In the pursuit of blessedness or of happiness, one path is to have God actually be God in your life. And the other path is even if you believe in God, sort of having other things, even yourself, be the main director of your life. So let's think about them. Two, two ways and only two to be blessed. Uh, path number one, uh, verses one through three, is a life that is lived with God. And by that I mean with God actually being your God. Uh, some of you have been in church for most of your life. Do you remember the older versions like the King James that would start, blessed is the... Man, I just want to say right up front that it's not just men who can be blessed, all right? The Hebrew word is ha'ish, and it's for any human being. This is for every one of us, no matter where we're from, no matter how old we are, no matter what our background is. Blessed is the person, and then it, then it gives us these three different points. They all, they all sort of fill one another out. The first is, if you want to be happy, you want to be blessed, the blessed person walks Seeking God's counsel. Not the counsel of the ungodly. We walk. Everywhere we walk, whatever we do, we walk seeking God's counsel. Because uh, you and I make countless decisions every day. You're making one right now. You're deciding whether you're going to listen to me or not. <laughs> you are. You make them every day. And, and, and if there are two different ways to make deci decisions... When you give your life to Christ and you want to know his blessedness, you make your decisions in a different way from the way the world generally tells you to make them. We make them walking in the counsel of God. We surrender it all to God. Our moral decisions, how we find our pleasure, uh, sexual pleasure or any other kind, the world will say you've got, you've got to fulfill your passions and whatever you do. And, 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 and Christian says... Whatever else the world tells me, I'm going to find out what God would have me to do. Do you see it? And when you have to set your priorities, the world will often say, do, it, do what is best for you. And, and a Christian says, but I've got to find out what God would have. What are his priorities? I want to make them mine. Do you see what I'm getting at here? When you decide what school you go to, how, whatever you do with your career or business, you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Instead, if you want to know blessing, you surrender every part of your life, even as Jeremy led us to sing today, all of me, following, following God. And it's not just this psalm that tells us 
that to find happiness and to find blessing, we seek the counsel of God about every decision because he's with us all the time. But Jesus himself talked about this. Um, one of the most powerful places, Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Jesus, after being with his disciples for a long time, doing ongoing miracles, turns to them and says, now I've got to tell you, I have come to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem now and do what my Father has sent me here to do. I'm going to be mocked, persecuted, spat on, and I'm going to be crucified. Though after three days, I'll rise again. Then afterwards, uh, Peter comes rushing up to him, and he says, Jesus, we always like the things that you do and say, but, but with this last one, you made a bit of a mistake. This death stuff, that's not going to get you or us anywhere. Let me tell you a better way to go. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. This kind of language will keep the purposes of God from happening. And then this next phrase is the one that shows you this, this way of wisdom, these two different ways. Peter, when you say that, that nothing can be gained through suffering, nothing can be gained through this, you're thinking the things of people, not the things of God. See, this is one of the commitments that you and I make when we follow Jesus. We're going to walk with the counsel of God. And it actually, the Bible says, though, sometimes we think, I want to do this, God tells me to do this, but if I do God's way, it'll be unhappier. The Bible says, no, 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 no. Uh, blessed is the person who walks in the counsel of God. And then, then the second phrase is so much like it, builds on it. The blessed person, the happy person, stands with God and his people. It's a word of identity. It's not in the place of sinners. Uh, the phrase here, stand in the place. Do you see it? It's a, it's a, it's a statement of with whom do you identify? When, when, when the Jewish people would use this, it would say, I belong to this group. Uh, this is the one. So when the blessed person who takes a stand, essentially what we are saying is, I am a child of God. Jesus is the Lord of my life. It's what the Apostle Paul had to do. You know, having been grown up, grown up and becoming a, a rabbi, he had grown up in the best tribe, best educated person. It must have been hard for his parents when he followed this Messiah Jesus, don't you think? And do you remember what he would say about that in Galatians 2? He says, now I've changed. I, that old I and my old identity, I have been crucified with Christ. But I'm still alive. I love how he puts it. I'm still alive. Look at me. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loves me, the one who gave his life for me. You see, Psalm 1 is telling us that Paul and you and I will be blessed if you and I live in such a way that we just let people know, hey, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a child of God, and I'm a part of his people. So, so we walk seeking God's counsel, we always want our lives to be identified with, with God and let people know that. And the last phrase is the blessed person really determines things, sees things, judges things, not the way the world does, but from God's perspective. And this, this profound little phrase, not in the seat of the scornful. Uh, this, this is courtroom language. Uh, the seat is the one who makes the judgment, the seat of. It's, it's like a judge making a judgment. And we all make judgments every day, don't we? And, and the way the world makes judgment is almost always based on external things. 
but God sees beyond external things into the heart. So how, how do we usually make decisions? Sometimes we want to hang around with the successful person, not the unsuccessful, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes we make judgments on how much education a person has. Sometimes our judgments are on skin color, all sorts of things. But when you want to, to be blessed, the judgment that you make, it changes. You begin to see people and this world not from the seed of the way the world does, or even that you did before, but from the seed of God. We want to see people and this world as God sees this world. Amen. For, for those of you uh, who are new here, this has been my ongoing sermon for so many, <laughs> so many years here, that when Jesus is brought into your life, he changes everything. But maybe the first place that you're going to see that he changes you, he changes your eyes. He changes the way you see, and especially the way you see people. And we begin to see people. How do we see people? How does God see us? Every one of us as an image bearer of God himself. Amen. Every human being, no matter what we look like on the outside, every human being as one for whom Jesus died, how valuable can we possibly be? A one who can know the forgiveness and cleansing and new life that Jesus can give like Kathleen gave testimony to. Now, I'll tell you, this plays out every day of our lives if we can begin to see from God's seat instead of from the world's seat. Uh, just one illustration of this that I, that I think is so relevant to what's happening in our, our world is something that has happened. You know, I'm, I'm a trustee on the board of uh, Wheaton College, and one of my friends and, and colleagues, fellow board members, is Dr. Ruth Bentley, uh, Ruth is now an emeritus person because she's, we have an age limit. Uh, Ruth is a psychologist, taught at the University of Illinois. She was, the, I think, the founder. She's the executive director of the National Black Evangelical Association. Do we have her picture up here? I love her. Uh, she knows that, I, that I'm a kindred spirit so that whenever we get into the room together, she's always wanting to talk to me about what she's doing. She's still involved, even though I think she's in her 80s, in doing pretty serious psycho research into the psychology of how we function as human beings. And recently, after all the violence that has been coming out uh, in our world, she began to do some research on what she told me she calls the giant young black man theory. Are you with me? Giant young black man theory. What she says is this, as she has been following for so long uh, the violence that is done and the fear of, of young black men in our country and the shootings that happen, she's been looking at how people described those young black men before they were shot. And she said almost every time what people said was that they saw that person as being much bigger than that person really is. See what I mean? We somehow saw them, they'd come with the hoodie or whatever they had, and as they walked toward them, the person who saw them became terrorized and afraid because they thought they were so much bigger. And so she said, this seems to play, and, it, and it, she, she said, this, this crosses all the racial barriers. She said, I, as a black woman, often see young black men as bigger, the giant who is always to be feared and held at arm's length. Now, she's still doing her research. She, she's testing it out. But, but here, her basic point is this. If that's true, th then it's a learned behavior that we're getting in our society. And she says, where are young black men going to find a place where people don't fear them, but actually embrace and receive them? And she said, the church has to be that place. That, that learned behavior has to be unlearned. 
And essentially, I just saw that when I looked at this. We don't sit in the seat of other people, of the scornful and the condemning, uh, condemnatory. No matter who comes across our path, our first thought is, that is a person made in the image of God. And, and even if, if it's, this person isn't a Christian, that's, that's a potential brother or sister in Christ. That is a person for whom Jesus died. That is a person who can know the cleansing of Jesus. That person can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? See, I get all thrilled about this. This is one of the most beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus. Any amens? One, one of the things that is going to set us apart in this world that is so divided is that the eyes that God gives us will be changed. And if we see people, all people, the way God's from his seat and not from the seat of the scornful, we will be those who welcome others. And the Bible even tells us that our own lives will be blessed even as we pass on his blessing. So I'll just sum up this first path. So pursue happiness in this world and you're not going to find it the way the world tells you. Pursue God and you'll be happy. Walk in standing sitting. I mean, just walk in standing sitting every part of your life, every day, practicing the presence of God, knowing he's with you, never forsaking you, living every day with the awareness that God is there. That is the path to true happiness. I long for everybody to find it. I hope you're on it. But there is another path we have to look at just quickly, and that is in verses 4 and 5. It is that life lived without God, leaving him out, the, the path of the ungodly, the path of the sinful, the, the, the path of those who scorn other people. And, and verse 4 really tells us how serious it is to leave God out of your life. And, and what it says is this. The wicked, those who leave God out of your life, are like chaff, which the wind blows away. Now, I know where I'm preaching. I'm in uh, urban Los Angeles, Southern California, entertainment capital of the world area here, right? So how many of you have been out winnowing wheat this week? I mean, you know, this kind of illustration, it goes right past this. So we got, we got to think about this for just a moment. So I have a picture or two up here that might help us. That was, Jesus was speaking into, and this psalm was speaking into, a much more of a farming kind of a community. And when they would winnow wheat, uh, uh, the, the chaff was the husk that would be uh, around one of the cereal kind of grains like, like wheat or, 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 or rice or barley. And so you see it here. What would happen is... Uh, the farmer would go out and after getting some of the, the wheat, they, he would throw it up in the air and the husk, the chaff that was around the part that is really the food, the wind, it was so insubstantial that the wind would just blow it away. And, and, the, and what nourished people would come to the ground. So I've shown you a second picture just to show you the difference of, of this. You see on, on the right is the... Uh, the food-bearing part, and the other part is the part that just blows away. And that, that's what Jesus says about our lives. No one wants to live a life in which what we do makes no difference at all. And yet if we invest our whole lives in trying to pursue happiness by building my career, by building my bank account, by building my credentials, those are all good things. 
But if that becomes the center of our lives, it's the very thing Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is meaningless, meaningless. And in this, Jesus is just driving at home a sober warning to all of us that the way to find real substance to our lives is to make sure that in everything we do, God is at the center of it so that we receive blessing as Alison Felix did. That is not what I live for, she said. My identity is Jesus, and all this other is just a blessing, a blessing from God. So if I can sum up this second path, if you try to find happiness without reference to God, your life will end up in emptiness and even in judgment. When you stand before the God that you've left out of your life, as you will, we all will, you won't be able to stand. Now, I, I know our time is up, but, but pastorally, one of the most important things here is this. I think all of us uh, who have come to church, and especially all of us who have received Jesus into our lives, we, we want our lives to have that kind of blessedness no matter what happens in this world, but we're not quite sure how to get there. We still become anxious. We still become terribly discouraged. But here, this psalm, the very first psalm, gives us the key, the practical key to your being happy, blessed every day of your life. And I'll just tell you, it begins with your mind. It begins with your mind. See, it's right there in verse 2. There are two phrases that are so, so important. With your mind you delight in, and with your mind you meditate on. If you want to be able to be blessed, even if you're walking through some really hard times right now, it begins with you delighting in God's Word. It says, in the law of God and His ways, the way He would have you to live. So the, the thing you delight in is what you desire the most. If you delight in a person, you want to be with that person, right? If you delight in a certain song, you want to hear that song. You might even want to sing that song. Uh, if you delight in a certain sport, you want to play that sport. When you get to be too old, you want to watch that sport. If you delight in the ways of God, you want to hear the word, the law, the ways of God, and you delight in receiving it, and you want to live that way. Because um, what happens is, the thing that we delight in, it touches upon that want-to mechanism uh, changing us. So the, the question when you read this is, do you really want to live for God? What do you dream of? When you dream, what is it that you want? What is it you wish for when you think of something that you really, really wish for and want? I think one of the first places that you can know whether you're really alive to God is more and more you delight in what God tells you. Which then how that moves from delight in so that you receive it makes it easy for me to preach if I open the word and you delight in hearing it. You know that? Then, for it to make a difference, we must meditate on God's word and his ways, day and night. And the Bible's word for meditation is, means something different from New Age meditation. I'm so glad we had Kathleen's testimony in her journey in the New Age area. She was so involved in meditation. But you know, in New Age meditation, basically what you do is empty your mind. And, and fill it with usually a content-less sort of a mantra so that you might feel peace from all the anxiety of this world and clean yourself out from all that stuff. Om, 
Oh, I mean, what does that mean? The Bible's view of meditation is so different. You don't empty your mind, you fill your mind. You fill your mind with the things of God. And that's what, that's what says meditate on the Word of God. That always is, begins with understanding what God's Word says. Uh, so we have to take time to study it and learn because you can't apply what you don't know. You, you can't live according to what you've never learned. And yet at the same time, I've got to warn you, meditation is not just learning what it says. It starts there. But meditation is more than just sort of cognitive learning because some of the greatest Bible scholars in the world are not blessed people. They're not happy. Why? Because it can stick up in our head. Meditation is that we let that go into all of our being and direct our lives. How does that happen? I've thought about that a lot this week. The kinds of questions when I read the Bible, because I do delight in it, I love it. But the kind of questions that I stop and ask myself are things like this. When I read a narrative, a story in the Bible, I stop and I ask, Father, is there an example in this story that I should follow and that might guide me in this situation that I'm in? Or is there an example in this story that I should not follow, <laughs> that if I go down that path, it's going to get me into a mess? I especially love, as you know, to read the, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, to see how he saw people and dealt with people. It, it directs our lives. Or sometimes it's not a story, but you'll find a promise in the Bible. Jesus turning to us, I am with you always. Um, so I'm walking through a time where you just feel so alone. Is there a promise that there is there in God's word that really speaks to where I am? And, and I say, Father, how does it apply to where I am? How does it make a difference in where I am? You see what I'm, I'm saying here? Uh, especially this, though, for some of us. Is there a warning in the Bible that might turn me away from a way that I've been going, a way I've been thinking? Is there a command that God gives to me that I know I should obey? And in meditation, we, we receive that. And then we so often have to have that time of saying, Lord, I'll go your way, not the way everything inside of me is drawing me. See, this kind of meditation is focused, intense, it, it's ongoing. But it, but it comes, the only way it comes, it comes from hearing the word with a deep, deep desire, a delight in it, and a desire to have our lives directed by God. When you meditate on God's word this way, you learn to know how God talks. You, you learn to know how he, he would have you to walk. It, it's like a little child learning to talk and walk physically. I have grandchildren now. It's been so much fun watching them learning to speak. How do little children learn to speak? We send them to a graduate course at, at Caltech, right? That, that's how they really learn to speak well. No, no, no. They, they listen to their parents and their family speak, and then they begin to speak back. And at first it's very simple, but I'll tell you, uh, and cute, but if they speak the same way as a 30-year-old, as they did as a 2-year-old, it's not all that cute, is it? <laughs> but, the, but in this, it's when you read the Psalms and you hear what God's Word says, you, you learn how God speaks and what He is like, and when you pray, you pray to the God who really is. You see how other people who have followed God actually speak to God and when the tough times come how it is that you engage with God and talk with him when depression comes how do they speak to the Lord when they were really angry were they afraid that God wasn't big enough to handle their anger how did they speak to God 
Yeah, you learn to walk and talk with God through the Psalms. And I'll just tell you, for this fall, and I hope you'll be coming often, the way the Psalms are put together is so profound. It starts with Psalm 1, telling us how every day of our life can be blessed if we know that God is at the center of it all. And it ends, Psalm 150, with everything in all the universe giving praise to God. Our world isn't there yet. But in between, we have Psalm 2 through Psalm 149. And perhaps more than any other one place in the Bible, it walks us through every human challenge, every human joy, every human failure, every human success, and teaches us how to talk to God and to walk with God. That's what we're going to do this fall. And I pray you walk with me. Next week, we're going to be thinking about anxiety, fear. One of the things that permeates, permeates our society and I'm sure the life of our church too. How do we know blessed in the midst of that? God's word walks us through it. I'll end today simply by telling you this, though, that perhaps the main mark of the blessed person is that you delight in knowing what God wants you to do. As my mom said, she said, most of us don't like somebody else to tell you what to do. But a blessed person loves to have the God who loves us and made us and sent his only son to die for us tell us what to do. How countercultural is that? We who follow Jesus love to have him be the Lord of every part of our lives. And I'll tell you, Psalm 1 simply teaches you that if you will walk, talk, and sit every day and night, every decision of your life, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water, even here in drought-filled Southern California, which yields fruit in its season and whose leaves never wither. Your life will be blessed and you'll be able to be a blessing to others.